And we are live. Welcome, everyone, to the Field Inspired Hi. Podcast. And I have got an incredible guest for you today. We're going completely off piece today, but actually, it's a subject I feel really passionate about. And it does kind of overlap with everything else anyway. So I thought, what the heck? Let me bring this stranger, random person on who we know. We actually met first. We just discovered 15 years ago at Tony Robbins. We were volunteering, volunteering that year. And I remember it well because it was so yeah, much fun. We, we were only so five years old, I it. I know, right? Telling you what? Well, I think I was about four. <laughs> <laughs> but it's just incredible like how quick time goes and uh, and how we all just became friends and stuff and I know we met up a few times after that and we stayed in touch and you know we connected on LinkedIn and I saw you wrote a book and I thought I've got to get her on the podcast because like I said it's a subject I still feel very passionate about anything and all things money so I thought we could delve into that we can also tackle some of the dating aspects of money <laughs> I feel hugely out of my depth because you obviously do talk about dating and my dating history is like abysmal. So, uh, <laughs> well, I'll, I'll, I'll give you some free coaching on the podcast as well. I've, I've landed on my feet in the end. But yeah, <laughs> use me as a case study of what not to do. So, yeah. Yeah. Are you, actually, I don't know. Are you married now? Yeah. Oh, brilliant. Have you, do you have kids as well? No. <laughs> right. I'm so, not going to try not to. I'm going to try my best not to embarrass you too much. But uh, anyway, for all the ladies and gentlemen out there and everyone else in between, uh, my name is Amit Soda. This is the Feel Inspired Podcast. This is my platform to help inspire you to reach your next level of excellence, I guess is probably the best way to put it. Um, but today's guest is a lovely lady by the name of Roma. And I'm not going to even try and pronounce uh, your surname. Huh? Demedia. Demija, because do you remember? I don't know if you remember this as well. Like I used to say to you as well. To me, it sounds like Gujarati when you say Damija, Damija, right? You know, like as in like you go away, you go. What some people do pronounce it like that. I'm pretty chilled about how you do pronounce it. I've probably been called worse, so yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, I, I should hope not. I mean, why would anyone call you worse? But but anyway, well, so. Um, I used to run marathons and at the end of the marathon, they announce your name when you you know you're crossing the line, and it was just. It was never right. So I just used to, I used to just like kind of listen out and wave when I thought it was the right time. But I was probably taking the glory for someone else. You used to run marathons. Hang on a minute. Wait, when was the last time you ran one? Um, it's been a while now. It's probably been about nine, ten years. Um, so now I just run kind of, I run, try and run daily, but it'll be shorter. Um, but no, I used to run marathons. Oh, nice. Yeah, no, I did my, I did the marathon in 2021. So, and then the one I did before that was 10 years before that, which was, sorry, in nine years before that, which was the 2012 marathon. So I did that one as well. So you're not planning to do any more? No, I've kind of like, I feel like I did, I went through a phase where um, I kind of ran about seven or eight in a year. And I kind of just thought, well, what, what else have I got to prove? Mm, so now That's I'm a lot of marathon running in a year. Now we're going to eat Chris on the sofa and just chill out for a bit. So... Um, <laughs> No, I like, I think I prefer, because it is exhausting and the training for them is exhausting. And I quite like now being able to do it consistently, but to be able to do shorter distances and actually just enjoy the rest of my day and not just so knackered. So, yeah. I agree with you on that one as well. I wanted to do two this year and that is still the plan. Um, but I think after that will be just one a year, I think, you know, just to, just to maintain it, just to have something to uh, aim towards. Yeah. I, I've got to admit, like doing a 10K doesn't feel challenging enough at the moment. Maybe a half marathon will in the next couple of years, I'll do start doing half marathons instead of marathons. But let's see. Let's see how it goes. But let's uh, let's come back to the topic at hand, because you what I saw on LinkedIn is obviously you've written a book. So we're going to talk about that as well. And hey, love. Love it. And actually, specifically, it's kind of targeted to adults, but what they educate their children on. Am I right? Um, it's, so the way that I wrote it was multi-purpose, really. Um, the most common question I get asked, so the book is called What Young People Need to Know About Money. And the most common question I get asked is people on LinkedIn or Twitter will just be like, Roman, when you say young, how young do you have to be? And I'm like, it's fine. You're 45. Just read the book. You know. <laughs> um, so it's really targeted at young people directly. It doesn't matter from 14 up, I would say, really, or even 11 up. Um, and uh, but even adults. So it's there to kind of almost educate parents so that they can have that conversation with their kids if they wish to. Because I think a lot of the time what holds people back is that they feel they don't feel confident in their knowledge about money and therefore they don't necessarily feel confident in talking to their children about money or their nephews and nieces or whatever it may be. And so it's really there for everyone. I got gotcha. you. And I don't know if you know my, a little bit of my backstory as well, because this will paint a bit of context because um, 
my uh as you know i was a complete high school dropout i really didn't kind of excel in that area but uh, and i started working from a very young age uh and what happened was because i didn't know how to handle the money i was getting i got myself into terrible debt and i ended up paying off that debt i finally paid it off in 2016 so we're wow. talking you know from i guess the 90s we're talking from about 20 what 1993 three or four I reckon was when the debt started uh, to 2016 so what, what are we talking there 22 years of debt and you know it, at its peak it reached like 35 grand now in today's terms that probably wouldn't equate to a lot of money but back then that was massive that was you were at, I think you were pretty much at your limit of personal debt that you could hold uh, as an individual and um uh, and then I spent years trying to figure out how to how the hell to get out of this debt you know mm -hmm. what I could do about it I had to work hard it was you know a lot of all, all my money was going towards the repayment so I barely had any holidays and and it was also one of the reasons that led me becoming suicidal and trying to take my own life uh and then I don't know if you've seen on my blog I wrote a back a book about it as well in 2011 2012 Mm -hmm. it's called a move easily from poor to prosperous and it's mm -hmm. still there still available you can still buy it on um uh, amazon kindle um but i had to learn a lot you know it was, a, it was the hard lessons unfortunately for me uh, and so this is why i'm quite fascinated about this subject so we'll, we'll take a deep dive into it but i want to ask you a first question because obviously I, I need to ask this anyway but um who pays on the first date <laughs> oh was, um I think I think it's all about levels of comfort, really, and how you feel like it's gone. You know, if you've got no, if, personally, I'd be like, if I've got no intention of seeing this person again, I'd probably just go halves. Yeah. Uh, and then, <laughs> this is just, I'm just, I didn't expect this question, so I'm just going to say it. But otherwise, I've got no problem if you are expecting it to, for it to go back and forth. So one person can get it one time, and then the other person can get it, you know, another time if you plan on seeing them again is probably my very non-committed response. <laughs> <laughs> I, I love that. But uh, you know what? I mean, the thing is, though, you've obviously given it some thought. And this is the part of the problem I think people face. I don't think they ever give it any thought. And so they always arrive at the same position every time they're in the situation. And because they haven't really thought about it, they, they're always faced with this conundrum, no matter what it is, unless, you know, someone comes along and, you know, it's very chivalrous and says, uh, you know what, I'm going to pay this one or whatever, however they handle it. I, I think, you know, we, we never really give it too much thought. Whereas my, obviously my opinion has been very different from day one. It's been what you should do is use it, up, use it as a setup for a second date. Ideally go for a date that doesn't involve too much money, go for a coffee, something really simple in the beginning. But then if you do decide to do something else, great. It should be the setup for the next day. For example, if you say to them, I'm going to, if you like them say, I'm going to pay. And if you more than want to pay on the next date, you're more than welcome to and there you go right isn't it to assume that they want to see you you know well my my opinion is when you're dating the answer is always yes until they've said look i'm not interested you know and it's a dangerous wording i sometimes use with people and i realized afterwards it's always yes until they say actually explicitly say no but i realize actually that's a different dangerous way of putting it but you should assume they're interested in you until they've actually just said i'm not interested in you or don't want to see you again or they don't call you back that's okay that's fine but until that point, think positively, think they are interested in you, that they want to see you again. Why wouldn't they want to see you again? You're an amazing, talented, you know, charming person. That's the way to think about yourself. And if you think like that, guess what? You start to act like that and people are going to respond well, to you. Only I thought about myself like that in my 20s. <laughs> <laughs> so actually, so how long have you been married? Uh, it's coming up to eight years. Uh, and when you and your partner got together, what mm -hmm. challenges did you have around money? Um, if any well at the time I was I was going through a career change so I was going from quite a successful career in um, marketing and events to going into teacher training and teacher training doesn't pay you a lot yeah. <laughs> if anything that's a, um, that's a big change so that was a really big change and uh, my mum was um, getting treatment for breast cancer and I'd moved back home so my financial situation had changed a lot um, my now husband was kind of starting out in re really kind of starting out in his career, probably in the first kind of four or five years of his career. Uh, he'd also he'd been in teaching and was coming out of teaching and going into kind of tech. And did he um, not warn you? Did he not warn you? Like, stay away, stay away from teaching. No, he's always he's always had really well two things really. I think he knows better than to try and provide me with advice. <laughs> <laughs> I think 
that's why we've ended up together because he doesn't go there. And um, <laughs> and then uh, the second thing is he's always spoken really fondly about education. So you know, and he's still in education, just the tech side, so online learning, etc., for university. So um, yeah, the financial challenges were that we probably were both quite early on in our careers. And so, you know, we were at a, at a point where we were particularly well off, um, either one of us. And, but I think we were both quite grounded about money um, in that we felt quite comfortable early on saying, oh, that, I, I can't do that right now, or I'm gonna have to wait until payday or whatever, whatever. You know, we, neither of us was trying to show that we were richer than we were or wealthier than we were. And I think that's the issue that most people um, are kind of where they get themselves stuck. And I think the other issue is that the amount that we align money to self-worth. Um, and I'm happy to talk about this kind of in more detail later on if you want. But I have found it like so liberating since I've understood that money is a tool and it's not a reflection of my self-worth. Because I think your life will is so limited when you see the accumulation of your bank balance as your self-worth. When you realize it's a tool, you will take more risks. Because think about it, if you were gonna see money as a reflection of your self-worth, you'd never take any risks. You'd never start a business. You'd never change career. You'd never do any of those things that could be really fulfilling and good for you. Um, and when you don't do that, when you realize it is a tool to have a fulfilling life, well, then it's a completely different thing. You know, it's a completely different ball game. You can talk more openly about it. You can talk about the risks that you're taking. Like, for instance, at that time, I was changing career. And why was I doing that? Well, actually, I was willing to give up a job that I was quite good at to do something more fulfilling and see if I could get that level of wealth or if I could get that you know, that kind of financial reward and fulfillment somewhere else. And that was okay because I saw money in a different way. Uh, I, yeah, I completely understand where you're coming from, but it, I think it's hard for people not. So I'm going to play devil's advocate for a second because I think that uh, having been someone who was deeply in debt mm -hmm. and when you, when you have no options, like mm -hmm. you said, it's a tool, money's a tool. But when you don't have that tool at your disposal, it affects every element of your life, including your self-worth, not just your self-worth. And I think that that's where, for me, it stems a bit deeper than that kind of thing. Do, do you see what I mean? Oh, yeah. And I'm completely not saying, like, for instance, one of the chapters in my in my book is about money and mental health. Yeah. You know, where to seek advice, etc. And you cannot deny the link between money and mental health. You know, the, the, all the data is so clear about that. So mm. please don't get me wrong. I'm certainly not promoting a lifestyle where, you know, you have two pairs of clothes. You know, I am not, you know, I, I, I'm, I don't have, I'm not even a minimalist. You know what I mean? In any way, shape, yeah. That is not what I'm promoting. But what I'm saying is after your level of comfort, you know, after your level of comfort, when your basics are taken care of and you've got a reasonable life, after that to equate every additional bit to your self-worth probably isn't the right way to go. And like you said, money gives you choices. You know, I was doing a talk with some sixth formers and I can remember saying, I was doing it to sixth form girls actually, because one of the talks that I do is around the disparity in education for girls and for boys around money and the different experiences that they have around money. Um, and how that then shows itself later on in life and the gender pay gap, et cetera, et cetera. And I said to them, you know, I was going to play um, Jesse, Jesse J's It's Not About the Money Money when you were coming in. And then I listened to it and I was like, she's lying. <laughs> A lot, large part of your happiness will come from making sure that you are financially stable, um, that you are able to cover your basics, that you're able to treat yourself, that you're able to get away when you need a break, that you are not forced to do work that you don't find fulfilling just for the money. You know, that's a big thing. So yeah, that's definitely not what I'm suggesting here. Yeah, no, no, I, I get that. I wanted, that's why I asked you the question. I want to clarify that for people listening, because I think that, um, like I said, just from personal experience, it knocked every aspect of my life. Uh, when I was in that situation and I wouldn't wish that on my worst enemy kind of thing. It's one of those, you know, situations once you've been there in life, you never want to be there again. Mm -hmm. And it, it but it, uh, on the flip side to that, 
it taught me so much about myself and, you know, made me realize, yes, although I'm not motivated by money as such, um, you still need to have a good handle on it, a good grip on it, um, and to have plenty of it to thrive. But as soon as you have money woes, it you know it starts to knock various areas because um i don't know if you know bob proctor right and he and he i think i'm pretty sure he said this as well it's amazing how much free time when you you have when you don't have to think about money mm. and i think that's true mm. uh, your your mind and your thoughts get preoccupied with everything because you're thinking that you you put it in this context you're thinking should i buy this should i not buy this should i do this what do mm. i need to save and what do i need to sacrifice today what do i need to can I afford this? Can I not afford this? Can I do this? Can I... So it does take up such an incredible amount of your mental capacity that it can have a big impact on you. Um, so, yeah, I, I completely get what you're saying. And I think that that's a good clarification to for anyone out there to understand that they're, they're, they're not intrinsically linked. But of course, it can have a knock on effect. You need oh, to have a base level. Yeah. Absolutely. absolutely 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 so tell us more about your book and um, why did you decide to write this book and why what what did, what other areas have you covered and what do you teach now especially to not just to young people but everyone out there what are the things that you think that people don't know that they probably should know yeah so um that's a lot so okay let me go through it and if i miss yeah, anything yeah. <laughs> i know i have this habit of asking like 12 questions in one <laughs> So um, uh, why did I decide to write the book? Let's start there. So I have been teaching business and economics um, uh, to kind of 14 to 19 year olds for now, probably about nine years. Okay. And um, I worked, like I said, I went into teaching after a career in marketing and um, events. And then I went into teaching and I realized I went, I was quite lucky. I, I've been up the ladder in the teaching profession. So I was, you know, of a vice principal last year. And um, I realized that even though I was teaching these subjects, there was a lot kind of in terms of like basic money knowledge that was not being taught. So it was all to do with how money affects firms or industry or the economy as a whole for a country, but not how it affects the individual. And so I felt like that was really missing. So that's one reason. Um, and it really came out of the book is full of questions that students have asked me over the years. You know, when you've got five minutes at the end of the lesson and a kid, when, when they feel comfortable with you, they're just like, miss, when did you get a mortgage? Like, how, where did you go and get it from? Or when they're 18 and they're like, do I get a credit card? Do I not? Kind of thing. And naturally, because I teach those subjects, I would often get asked those questions. Um, so it came out of that and that realization that they weren't getting that anywhere. Um, and sometimes, you know, it wasn't that the parents didn't want to talk to them about that. It's, you know, they've got a million other things that they're doing. They're trying to spend quality time with their kids, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and so it was like, actually, is anybody giving this to them uh, in a kind of in a way where it makes sense and it's in context, et cetera, et cetera. So that was one of the reasons. The second reason was uh, my own experience of money. So um, I grew up, my parents, you know, came over to the UK from India. They had very little money. And so they worked exceptionally hard. Um, but at the, I think it was about 16 or 17 and my dad went bankrupt and we lost everything. And when I say we lost everything, you know, somebody knocked on the door and said, you've got two hours to rob what, what you want and we're taking the house kind of thing and so we lost everything and that was actually the first time that my parents spoke to me about money because I had to start contributing how old were they and how old were you so they were in their 50s okay. I was 17 16 mm. 17 um and you know and watching my dad build everything from scratch mm. um you know I got my first mortgage when I was in my early 20s because he couldn't he was bankrupt you know um and so it was for their house etc and so it was really important for me, for instance, from the age of 18 to make sure I had a really good credit rating because it wasn't just me who relied on that. It was my parents that relied on that. Mm -hmm. So do you see what I'm saying? So you, you start making some uh, you start learning very quickly and you start making uh, good money decisions because you're having those conversations with your parents. And I honestly look back at that period and I think it's the best thing that could have ever happened to me. Um, you know, and a bit like when you say, you know, you wouldn't want to go back, but you learn a heck of a lot. And sometimes it's the struggle that teaches you. And obviously, I don't want that struggle for any of my students. 
Um, but if I can give them those little bits of knowledge in a form that they can understand with my knowledge of teaching and how they can digest it, well, then why not? Um, so that's kind of why I wrote the book. I saw a gap in the curriculum. Um, and uh, my personal experience told me that these conversations are not necessarily ha happening. Uh, over nine years, I've done a lot of the activities in the book. I've done them with students. You know, like there's an activity in there that gets you to imagine what you want your life to look like in, let's say, five years time and cost it up. Because unless you know what you're aiming for, how are you going to get there? Mm. You know, unless you know. And then I say to you, uh, yeah, and you can do that at 30, you can do that at 40, you can do that at 50, whenever you like. But I say to a lot of my students, well, then work your way backwards. Is the job that you're going for, is it going to give you that lifestyle? Because mm. well, one of them is going to have to move, you know? Or have you got unrealistic expectations for five years time? Is it 10 years time um, in order for them to manage their expectations? So a lot of what is in the book are conversations that I've had with young people. And what I've realized that they don't, that, you know, a lot of the information that they, they're not getting. And, and go on. No, I was just going to say as well, like what you said is quite important, I think. And I don't think people realize how important it is, because when I told you my story, one of the first things that happened to me was, was that I was in a part-time job and I went to, I remember one day and I remember the experience really well. So I was going home that day. I had to stop off at the cash machine to get some cash out. And I didn't know the difference between what was written at the end of my balance between the CR and the DR. And I didn't realize I'd gone into an overdraft. I had no idea that it happened. I didn't even know I had an overdraft. I didn't even know what that was at that point. And mm -hmm. that's, that's how the debt started from a simple yeah. overdraft that no one taught me about. And as a result, that spiraled into God knows how much of debt, right? It was a lot of well, debt. Look at look at the experience of young people now with Klarna. Mm. You know, how readily available is that debt? Mm. You know, and how worrying is that? I know 13-year-olds that are in three, I mean, sorry, I know 18-year-olds oh. that are in 3,000 pounds worth of debt already. Mm. And they've just started their financial, you know, journey. Yeah. Um, um, and it's nuts. And I just thought to myself, well, somebody's got to tell them yeah because otherwise it's going to hit them hard so true yeah no and and on the flip side to that what options they do have now to manage their money so much better than say when we had when we were younger like you know you look at apps like plum and i think there's plenty of other ones that are there for youngsters where they can put their money and actually create like things like on revolut you can create a little vault that puts money aside for you and you don't even know about it right i had a look at my revolut the app the other day I'm like 50 quid in my vault i was like oh cool right i didn't even realize it was there and um but that's a good thing, I think. Sometimes putting money away and forgetting about it is a brilliant thing. Um, and so they have so much more tools. But the question is, do they know? Is anyone actually teaching them? Is anyone actually giving them any sense of, you know, how to use these tools, what they're for, ways to manage it, and all this kind of stuff? And I think, like you said, from what you said, I think it's still pretty vacant out there that it isn't part of the mainstream curriculum where it should be. Well, the thing that I wanted to highlight, and I was just going to, come on to this is that it's not the you know financial literacy has been put into the curriculum mm. it's very basic um and I certainly don't think it's the fault of teachers you know I've no, worked with not. the most incredible I've worked in a whole range of schools and I've worked with the most incredible teachers and believe you me they bust their gut covering the curriculum you know and there is so much that they give to those kids that is beyond the curriculum but what we have to remember as well is a lot of those teachers have just come out of uni. Some of our finest teachers have just come out of uni. What's their experience of finance? You know, they haven't bought their first house. And so expecting them to be able to teach our young people about it with their limited knowledge is also unfair. And that's why I wrote the book the way that I did. So just to give you an idea, I was, um, I was quite far down with a publisher who wanted me to change it and change it into a textbook. So that, you know, the answers weren't there and it was a textbook and you could, and it was, I reworked one chapter and I knew it didn't feel right because I wanted it to be transparent. I wanted a 14 year old kid to be able to pick it up. I wanted a 38 year old person to be able to pick it up and have all the answers there. I wanted a teacher to be able to pick it up and have all the answers there within the books. So everything that you need to know is in the book. Okay. All the answers to the questions that I ask, all the things that I get people to think about are in there. Okay. Um, and so 
going back to the point is that it's not it's not really the fault of education is that they've got so much to teach and the limited hours that they've got um it's not one of the key areas that Ofsted or the government look at in terms of how well are you teaching etc um and also to expect that level of financial literacy from our teachers who are in their early 20s is not fair unless you're going to give them the training and make it a core part of the curriculum well, uh, you know, I, I, I think that's I think that's partly the point that, it, yeah, you're absolutely right. It's amazing teachers out there, but it is the fault that it's not the part of the curriculum. And it should be. I think it should be. Uh, do you know, I've always said this as well. And I said this to someone else on one of my other podcasts as well. Two things we don't teach in school, dating and money. Why not? Two of the most important areas of life that will affect us for the rest of our lives, the decisions we make. Why are we not teaching about this? And that's not to say that you take the, you know, I know this is a whole big debate about taking the responsibility away from the parents or anything like that. No, it's about sharing that responsibility. It's not taking it away. But if, if you know, as a youngster, no, again, no one taught me about dating. No one taught me about money. And so I went out in the world and had no clue and screwed up at both. And so it has to be there in some capacity. To uh, Yes, I know some other things may need to be sacrificed. And I've got to be honest, I think a lot of things could be actually sacrificed in space of that, because these two things are far too important to not have in the curriculum. I think, you know, like I said, having worked in education, I think uh, schools do a phenomenal job. Thank um, you. And I think every person you ask will look at the curriculum and be like, well, you can take that away. I've never used that before kind of thing. And what you're trying to do and the, and the challenge is, of course, you are trying to, in limited hours, provide all the knowledge a human being needs. Uh, and that is, you know, that's an impossible task, really. Um, and also you're trying to prepare them. And my book looks at this as well. So the book is divided into three. So the first bit is personal finance. The middle bit is the economy. So do you understand the world in which money works? You know, the kind of infrastructure in which money works? You know, what is a boom? What is a recession? Do you actually get that, et cetera? And then, um, and how does that affect you as an individual? Um, and then um, the final section is about recruitment and the world of work and how that's changing. And, you know, the other challenge, just going back to the curriculum, is you're preparing kids for a world and you don't even know what it's going to look like. You know, you've got no idea what it's going to look like. Yeah. So Ken Robinson talked about that a lot, didn't he, as yeah. well? Like we're, we're pre preparing kids for a world that's not going to exist anymore. Mm. And so that's the that's the challenge, isn't it? Is that there is so much to teach, so much to try and get in, uh, get into the curriculum between the hours of 8.30 and 3.00. But this is where I think you, you uh, sorry, not sorry, not you, I'm speaking just generally, but this is where I think that uh, as an education, any educational establishment should in some ways outsource this to specialists who have knowledge and can teach it to children. So especially when you, I think, you know, to, you know, to chuck too much onto kids at a young age, they don't need it. But say from about 14 onwards, you should get speakers in who are experts. Well, they do. They, they, but the, the thing is as well, like I, I'm sure they do, but I think that the importance is not there as in why I this is think the importance is not there, but how do you give anything importance if you're just going to get a speaker in? Do you see what I'm saying? It has to have, I mean, I think one of the best bits of teacher training I ever did was I followed a student's timetable for a day. Yeah. I mean, you're sitting down for like six, seven hours a day and you're being taught like one minute you've been taught geography and the next minute you've been taught math and stuff like that. And it's difficult to absorb it all. And so having a speaker in occasionally to talk to you about money, it's natural that you won't remember all of that. You know, mm -hmm. people will listen to this podcast and they'll walk away and they might remember some snippets and they won't remember other bits. And it's that repetition of it. And so it's difficult. And if you're going to do that, then you have to allocate some time to it you know, and quite a lot of time to it is what I'm saying. So at some point out of everything that we want our young people to know, we have to decide which bits we're going to pick. Yeah. And that's the challenge, isn't it? And that's where I go back to I'm sure if we had a hundred people in a room and showed them the entire curriculum, they would all pick different bits and then some people would bring some other bits in. So. Yeah, no, I get it. I think um, I, I think it's it, like you said, it's not an easy balance to strike. It's no, no there's going to be no perfect solution to this, no matter how hard we try. Um, but but I've, tried, 
I've tried in the book. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, you, you've, you've at least made an attempt, right? And, you know, when I've given talks in schools and stuff as well, because obviously this has been a huge part of my journey, I talk about it a little bit without giving financial advice as well, which you've got to be very careful of, yeah. but just giving people uh, an insight to what the lack of, lack of knowledge did, hopefully in the, in the hope that actually it sparks a bit of their interest and they want to go find out more information by themselves so they can do it in their own time. Um, you know, I, I, I mean, uh, what I know now, oh my God, if I'd known when I was younger, I would have been, you know, a different story. Of course, of course I wasn't interested in it then. And I look back to, you know, if I was a young person now, would I, would there anything have changed? Would I have been interested in it if someone had shoved well, it down my throat? Would you have, you know, I was listening to a podcast not long ago and they were writing letters to their younger selves. Like the guests would always end with a letter to their younger self. Uh, and one of the guests just went, started the letter off with I know you're not going to listen to any of this and that's the thing isn't it sense <laughs> in hindsight um and so yeah you can you can flag it up and you can you can do as much as you can um and then hope that the person runs with it yeah I, I wonder if there's any creatives out there who could think of better ways to to pass this knowledge on so that people could be more interested in youngsters can be more interested in it I think it's it's such a tricky juggling act it's not easy I do think I do think young people are interested I think you know they really want to know how much people get paid and I, <laughs> yeah. there's an element of that that is societal it's rude to ask people how much they get paid you know so the first question that I often ask them is put your hand up if you've ever wanted to ask somebody how much they get paid but you've not done it because you, you think it's rude and so many you hands go up yeah, like when you walk into, like, if you're doing a class or you're talking about this to a group of students, you ever just ask them the question, how many of you want to be rich? Yeah, yeah. And what their idea of rich is, you know, what is, um, you know, if I was to ask, uh, so I have asked, uh, you know, uh, some 14 year old business students that were mainly boys. And I can remember going, you know, what, how, how, how rich do you want to be? What's wealthy? And it, it's weird, but the number always comes to like one mil. And I'm like, why? And they go, because that's what the rappers have said. <laughs> <laughs> they say, well, that, that's your frame of reference. But <laughs> that's interesting because I think to myself that actually the, the money, the money amount is, you know, that's rudimentary. Like this, this it doesn't really matter. But it is the I, I like, you know. So then the follow up question, the immediate follow up question to that to mm. ask youngsters is right. How many of you would like to know how to get rich? Mm. And, and uh, you know, I use the word rich. Actually, I would replace that with wealthy because I think oh, that's yeah. a different, completely different mindset. Um, connotations of what wealth is. Exactly. You know, one of the greatest quotes that I heard was "Wealth is money and spent." So you're wealth. I, I, I yeah I've, I've heard so many different definitions and so many amazing ones and I, there was a Chris Rock was doing a comedy skit once and he was talking about how th this is how he defines the difference between rich and wealthy and he goes um you look at the, at the time not now but if you look at the time at the time of when, when Shaq was still playing basketball for example Shaquille O'Neal he said Shaq is rich but the guy who pays his what his paycheck that guy is wealthy <laughs> and uh, and it's it's and then if you look at things like rich dad poor dad he talks about obviously generational wealth and what it really means and for me if i were to define it it would be to have enough that money is off the table yeah um and whatever and for that me, can be different I, yeah and that can I be different amounts for different people exactly like for me i have no desire to have a yacht or a private jet or anything mm -hmm. like that but i tell you what i'd love to like this is kind of my definition of it is that you know, I'm not even a huge traveler, but it, when I do travel, I'm six foot three. I don't want to be an economy. I want to be in first class or business class minimum that I can travel around and not have to think about buying a first class ticket or a business. That's, you know, for mm -hmm. that, that's my level of wealth that I like. Obviously, having plenty stashed away that is there for whatever I want in the future, but I don't have really that, that much expensive taste. But that would be one way I would define it to be able to travel in comfort. You know, when trust me, when you're six foot three and you've traveled in the economy for 11 hours, that is enough to drive you to <laughs> like, you know, like, I'll take my life right now. It's it's a nightmare. It really is a nightmare where someone puts their seat back and you're that tall. It's a killer. Um, so that was just what it's just one fun way I define it. And that was someone else's and other people define it a certain way. And you're right. There is no figure that matches everyone. But everyone has an idea of what that means, what that looks yeah, like. Yeah, And in, in the book, one of the questions I ask is, does money. So, what, so one of the things that I kind of talk about is, does money make you happy? 
And I just refer to research, you know, because obviously it's so it's so personal for people. Um, but, you know, there's, uh, there's a great TED talk out there. And in it, you know, they say that the average amount of where your kind of happiness starts to plateau, it doesn't actually make such a big impact in your life is around, I think it's around 52K, 52 to 54K. As a salary? Um, as a yearly income, yeah. So oh, yeah. as a yearly oh, income, yeah. yeah. And then I think, you know, and it doesn't talk about how much you have in savings, et cetera, et cetera, because it would vary. Um, but it's interesting that they then look at what then when people say that they are happy with that amount, what then increases their, you know, in economics, we call it utility or what increases their happiness after that. Mm -hmm. And it's what you can do with it, how you can help other people with it, um, how you can then stop, um, you know, kind of help family members to stop worrying about money and how that makes an impact on your life. So yeah, I think it's different amounts for everybody. And that's why one of the exercises that comes quite early on is thinking about what you want your life to look like. It's a personal journey, what you want your life to look like and thinking about how much of that is gonna cost you. And it doesn't matter if it's a third of what it costs the person that's sitting next to you, or it's double that as you know, it's what your expectations are. Because I think one of the things that you know, you asked me why I wrote the book was I was bumping into students that I taught, you know, four or five years earlier. And I teach them right at the end of their educational journey, really, at 18. And then they're deciding whether they're going to go to uni or they're deciding whether they're going to go down the apprenticeship route into work, etc. And you'd see them four or five years later. And you could really see where for some of them, their expectations and reality just hadn't matched up and it was getting them down you know um and if i give you an example of that it, the bbc did some research and it asked teenagers how much they expect to be earning at the age of 30 and the average that these teenagers thought they would be earning at the age of 30 was 70k yeah the average in the uk is 32 to 35k yeah so can you see how those expectations and reality are unlikely to match up and make you really unhappy when actually if a kid is on about 35k they're doing really well mm. um, and so it's kind of getting them to reframe how they think about money their expectations around money and to set their own expectations about money rather than the world kind of feeding into it especially with social media you know think about all the things that they see on social media um, and they know it's not real you know i get pretty i i mean i'm always a bit dubious when young people when older people are saying you know these young people are watching social media and they think they should have a jet at 25. And I'm like, they're not stupid. You know, they know it's not real. You know, we've caught enough Instagram influencers who've taken photos in business class and then gone and sat in economy and been caught by their fans. They know it's not real. Um, it doesn't mean that they don't want it. Yeah. And by the way, I was going to say that um, just on that side note, when you mentioned that TED talk, I saw that one years ago, um, I, unless there's a different one, because unless you've seen a more recent, there's a more recent one. But I saw one similar to that several years ago. But the other one that was really uh, worth watching for anyone, and I, I don't know if you've shown this, ever shown this one to your students or suggested they watch it. Uh, but one by a guy called Paul Piff, Does Money Make You Mean? Oh, okay. No, I haven't. Oh, that's a brilliant one. It's really worth watching that one <laughs> as well, because he does an experiment in the beginning of that where he gets two students, for example, into a room and they deliberately they give them a monopoly board and they've deliberately given one with more money two, you know, two dice. The other one only has one dice, et cetera, et cetera. You know what? I've read it. I've read about it as opposed yeah. to watching the TED talk. But go on. Yeah, but it, it's just funny to watch. I don't want to spoil it too much, but just, you know, the sense of entitlement that comes into it when people who have money. But also what was great was what the solution was. I'm not going to spoil it. If anyone wants to go out and watch that talk, in fact, I'll link it as well because it's worth watching it. Um, but it, it goes back to what you were saying a little while ago, actually. But it's, it's, it's not as... Uh, difficult or as complex that people think about um think it may be um but actually even from a rich person's perspective it is just a little bit of education for them understanding what they have and what they can do with it with this money because not everyone realizes that um yeah i didn't know about investing till probably you know three four five years ago maybe you know they, that was completely new to me um but uh and so what was i then what 40 41 and like I just think to myself, God, if I had kids, I'd be teaching them that from day one, literally from the, the from the first day they could say, dad, dad, give me money. You know, I'd be teaching them about money kind of thing. Right. You know, that would be my thing. Um, but it's it's um, 
there's so much out there. Sorry, I've digressed ever so slightly there, but it's just, I think it's it's fascinating. Everything you were saying there is so true, so true. The perception of it is fascinating, how it differs from person to person, how it's portrayed at the moment as well, even more so how much is dangerously portrayed um, and giving those false sense of expectations. And like you mentioned about the, the average and things like that. Um, and then uh, to tie into this as well, in the work that you do and when you've written about it in the book, have you ever touched on or do you touch upon the the, the whole idea of um, bringing in the whole concept of passion or finding something you love to do and bringing that into your work? How I kind of look at that is, again, I didn't want the book to come across as preachy. That's not my point. You know, I'm not telling you how to invest. I'm not telling you how to run your life. I'm not telling mm. you any of those things. I'm just telling you what's out there. Mm. Um, so in the section around um, kind of recruitment and the workplace, I do talk about the idea of a side hustle. And, you know, the fact that it, because I wish somebody had told me that earlier. I think I would have had those a lot earlier. I always had ideas. I was always brimming with ideas. You know, I was that I was on a market store with my dad, you know, from all the seconds from the factory, et cetera, from the age of about seven. So, you know, I always had ideas of how I was going to make money. But I wish somebody had told me about the value of a side hustle and you actually can just do it. And the Internet allows you to do that. But what that allows you to do is then pursue your passion. And, you know, I do put in there, you may not want to make money out of all of your passions. And I think that's a really strong message as well. Like you don't have to monetize everything. You know, you might just enjoy doing it and keep money out of the equation. But I also talk about how, for instance, it can empower you. You know, you might decide to use that money that you make from your side hustle for something else. You might decide to make it your main source of income eventually. Or you might decide it's the way that you express yourself outside of work hours and you're quite happy to have it on the side. For women, for instance, uh, women who have children who often have an average of about a three year gap on their CV, because that's when, you know, the kind of free nursery hours kick in, et cetera, et cetera. Um, it's great because it means that they can have that consistency in their CV and that continuation, but they've done something else, you know, that fits around them having a child so that when they go back into the workplace, they can still demand a same level of income as they did when they left. You know, they've not been completely out of the workplace and they've got something to show for it. And so I do talk about passions in terms of that sense. I didn't feel comfortable in terms of talking about how you find your passion, et cetera, et cetera. I, there is, I think the hardest thing about this book was, because if you think about it, money touches everything, doesn't it? It touches all aspects of your life, your relationships, um, what you do with your time, you know, your mental health. The, the hardest thing about this book was what I was going to keep out. It wasn't actually what I was going to put in, you know. And so I've tried to hint towards that in the bits that I talk about side hustles, et cetera, et cetera. Is it, isn't that what they say, right? Wisdom is knowing what not what not to say rather than what to say. I don't even know if I've got it right. Um, uh, you know, the response to the book has been amazing, which is really nice. Um, schools are buying it for their, for their kids, you know, um, and parents. Parents have been absolutely phenomenal in their response as well. Uh, I had one parent contact me and I thought this was beautiful. Uh, she said, uh, I'm sitting down with my teenage boy and we've just bought your book. And she said, we're doing the exercise where he's imagining what he wants his future life to be. And it turns out he's not half as su superficial as I thought he was. And I quite like him. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. Yeah, she was like, I'm actually really proud of the son that I've raised. And I was like, good for you. But she just went, said, I want to thank you because I'm having the most fascinating conversation with him. Mm. Um, and I think that's brilliant. And so you... Yeah, of course, you want to launch a book and you want to change the world. But to me, that is changing the world. If I can get people to have a conversation, if I can give young people the guts to go to a restaurant and ask the owner about what made them start the restaurant, what, how long it took them to break even, perhaps, or something like that. You know, if I can get those conversations going, then to me, that is success. And that's good enough for me. 
Yeah, that that is a beautiful story as well. And I, I've heard similar stories like that, you know, when, when it comes to coaching and stuff like uh, stuff like that, you know, people have had deep, the difficult conversations with whether it's their partner, whether it's their children, whether it's someone in their life uh, and the impact they can have. You know, they don't realize that they're always fearing these difficult conversations. But actually, when they have it, they're like, oh, that wasn't so bad. Right. You know, that was actually quite pleasant and quite insightful. Um, but it's amazing how much we sh we shy away from this subject. Like people are just so scared of talking about money. And, you know, I see it all the time, dating relationships. And then, um, uh, I mean, I, I was coaching someone recently and like, you know, this individual had been with their partner for an, on and off for a number of years. And I was asking them some deep questions about what they do. And because I think money was a bit of a contentious subject in the relationship. Uh, and I said, do you know this about your partner? She was like, Mm, not really and I was like you've been together seven years how can you not know something like this it's it's a long long time uh, and so um it's amazing how how people how much people are afraid of the subject but actually once you get it out on the table it can actually be quite empowering mm. and in all forms of relationships whether it's a spouse whether it's your children whether it's you know family or whatever um, but I think it's one of these things that people are almost embarrassed to talk about as well. And the people, and is that something for you that you kind of hope to change with people and getting them out of this embarrassed yeah, mindset? Really. And um, you know, and again, it comes back to that. It is not a reflection of your self-worth. Of course, if people are having a really hard time, I completely understand with money. I completely understand that it would feel that way. Mm. Um, but you as an individual are worth more than what is in your bank account, you know, and um, I really hope that people do feel comfortable. We're talking with children as well about with their with their young people about money and their partners after having a chat about this or reading the book um, for two reasons. Really, I think I think you can have so in terms of relationships, I think you can have more deep and meaningful relationship. You know, like I said, when me and my husband got together, we were quite early on in our careers. Then quite early on, I was earning more than he was. And then he was then earning more than I was, et cetera. And it went back and forth for a little while, okay, because of various changes or promotions or whatever it may be. At the moment, I've taken a step back. So I've kind of gone part-time to be able to promote the book. I've started my own business, et cetera. So I'm taking some financial risks. And he's not. He's very stable in his career. But because we've always spoken about money, there's that underlying thing of I've got you, you know, at the moment, I'm in a better place financially than you are. And I've got you. And tomorrow, you might be in a better place than I am. And I know you'll have my back as well. Do you see what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. So I think it actually makes for a richer relationship. In terms of parents or even aunts and uncles talking to their young people, I think it's really important for young people to see some of the challenging decisions that adults have to make around money you know I don't obviously we don't want to lay all of our hardships on our on our children I completely get that but to have those conversations of we can't have that we could if you wanted you know your mom or your dad to work even longer or would you rather have us at home you know what I mean that's a decision that we're making or if we go on this holiday, we're going to have to take on some debt. And I'm not comfortable doing that. Mm -hmm. And to just be really honest with young people about that. Because what that will then do is normalize those challenges for them later on in life. And the problem is, if you don't, if you say to them, everything comes easily, yeah, we're going on this big fat holiday, even though most of it is on your credit card. Okay. They're going to think that's normal. And so they won't question it themselves. And they will find themselves in debt. Now, you might be fine having a holiday, you know, doing a holiday on, cre on credit card debt, whatever, whatever, borrowing money for it, because you know that you've got money coming in and you're going to pay it off. But unless you're having that dialogue with them, how are they going to make those choices later on? Mm -hmm. Or is it just going to be an expectation? You know, like, where is this thing come from that you have to have a holiday every year? It's weird, isn't it? The number of people that just say, oh, I've not had a holiday all year. I deserve it. <laughs> I'm like, do you really deserve it? You know, and sometimes, and I know it sounds really harsh. Yeah. I know it sounds really harsh, but some people are like, oh, I've worked really hard this week. I deserve to, and I'm like, you had a job. Mm. You did your job, <laughs> okay? Um, 
And so this idea of constantly treating yourself and I, yeah, don't get me wrong. I'm the first person. I love doing that. I, you know, I, yeah, on a Friday, if you've had a really tough week, yeah, I want to go out to eat or I want to go buy myself something nice, etc. But also having the conversations around that's what you want to do, but you know the longer term impact might not be where you want to end up. Mm. I think that conversation is really important because unless we tell young people that these are the decisions that we're having to make, the difficult decisions we're having to make, they're going to be under the impression that it should be easy. And then when somebody offers them a credit card with really unfavorable terms, they're going to take it. Yes, no, so true. And that leads nicely on to some of these bigger lessons that people need to take away in this day and age. I think that, and, and we're not just talking children here, we're talking adults, because I think yeah. plenty of adults out there also making, um, you know, poor choices or just not knowing what options there are. So what some of the things that you talk to people about at the moment who come to you and ask you questions like, like, I don't know about you, but I, for example, um, I had an investment account, but I closed it because I prefer to just use apps because it's easier. So I use an app called Free Trade for all my investing. Um, I do do crypto a little bit as well. Um, but <clears throat> it's amazing how many people don't know these things or there are tools like, for example, what we mentioned earlier about Revolut. Mm -hmm. uh, being able to use a tool like that so when you spend money you know there's few extra pennies or whatever to put it aside so then you know when you look back and you know or, or what it does is that even if you set that vault up I, I really love those features you set it up for say a year or two years or whatever or year you know so you can have your yearly holiday but it adds up all those little or adds a pound or whatever so by the end of the year you've got you know 500 quid a thousand quid who knows for your holiday and it's there and you haven't even thought about it really so these are the kind of some of the things that i look at and i try and utilize as best as i can but what else do you tell people what, what advice do you give to people who are not so financially savvy and what things do they need to know so you know like i said i'm not a financial advisor so i don't necessarily provide that advice as such but I th actually the most common conversation i have is around time um and that you you know, you can put money aside. You're not going to be a millionaire in one year because our expectations around time are nuts. You know, you know, you look at someone like Warren Buffett. He made the bulk of his money after the age of 64. He did, yeah. And so this idea that if you start saving at 20 by 25, you're going to buy a house, you know, in cash. <laughs> like, and I'm not saying that it can't be done. This is the key. I'm not saying that it can't be done. But what I am saying is, um, so the two things that I constantly bang on about is it takes time. So start doing small bits regularly. You know, make sure, for instance, that you have a direct debit that is putting money into, let's say, the S&P 500, even if it's just 50 quid a month, get into the habit, okay? Because I think your financial future is the result of your habits, not one-off things or an app that you download this week or anything like that. It's your habits. So everything that you're talking to me about, about that vault, et cetera, it's a habit-forming thing, isn't it? Mm. Okay. So the first thing I talk to them is about their habits and getting into those habits. And if you know you've got bad habits, if you know that if you have money sitting in your current account, you're going to spend it, then get it out the day you get paid. You know, put it in a separate account that you can't see. And then don't, even if it's a fair, I can remember with someone I was saying, Start an account in a separate bank. Don't download their banking app so that you don't know how much is in there. And <laughs> just have money going out. Just have money going out. Or put it in like your investment account so that it can be spread across, you know, a portfolio of companies. So that's the first thing is that it takes time. Um, you know, compound interest is a thing, but it's a long term thing. Um, and so I talked to them about that in terms of uh, kind of expectations and time. And that's a big thing. But also the other thing is that invest in what you are comfortable with and what you know. I don't invest in cryptocurrency because I don't I don't know much about it and I don't get it. Mm. OK. And I don't have a problem with saying. And I think sometimes people feel like they can't. You know how we feel a bit nervous about talking about money or a bit shy about talking about money? I think sometimes feel like people feel nervous about saying what they do and don't know. Mm. And so I'm saying to you, I don't get cryptocurrency. I don't feel safe investing in it. So I don't. There are certain things that I get and I invest in those. Some people invest in art. You know, that is not me. That's not me either. <laughs> Some people invest in vintage cars. That is also not me. Some people invest in handbags. I wish that could be me, but it is not. <laughs> kind of thing. So invest in things that you are comfortable with and that you understand. 
um, and take the time to understand them. If it's going to be property, make sure you understand the property markets. Look at the property markets in different countries and how have they responded to different shocks in the economic system. Um, you know, if it's going to be bonds, if it's going to be gold, whatever it may be, have a look at what you're investing in and um, and don't invest in things you don't understand. And it's okay not to understand some of them. Just because crypto is the, you know, supposed to be the golden goose now doesn't mean that you should be in it. Yeah. Uh, and the other thing I was just going to add, because uh, you it, while you were talking, something popped into my head is that we mentioned it earlier about expectations. And I think that this is where it's so easy for someone to have the expectation that just because, you know, let's say you take two people who are 25 and one's earning 30 grand a year and the other one is earning a hundred grand a year. Um, it's very easy to assume uh, that the other person, the one earning, you know, hundred grand a year is better off and is happier, but also knows how to manage that money. Cause actually, actually more often than not, they don't know how to manage that money. And so they'll spend it frivolously, frivolously, if I could even say that word, frivolously. Um, and, um, and then often get themselves into debt as well. And this is, you know, a known phenomenon that sometimes when people earn more because they're more, or should I say less responsible with their money, they actually do worse with it and create even more debt. And they believe that because I'm earning money, I could go into debt. It's okay. As you well. know what? I'm laughing because this is so true. When I was at uni, I had like three jobs during my master's and I was making it rain. <laughs> like, <laughs> my standard of living was so low. <laughs> like, I was happy to eat pasta and beans every day or like pot noodles or whatever. And, you know, I lived in student accommodation and everything was quite cheap. Then I got into my 20s and I was earning money. I was earning a lot more money working full time. But I felt broke. <laughs> and so you're talking about expectations is that understand. I think one of the best things you can do, to be honest with you, is um, as you start going up the career ladder is not to dramatically change your lifestyle. You know, stop trying to keep up with the Joneses. Yeah. And I'll be honest with you, the number of people I can remember when I bought my house and it's just your average kind of three bed, semi-detached house. And the num a number of people who were just like, oh, so the next move will be a detached money. And I was like, no, it won't. <laughs> yeah. No, you know, I'm not leaving here. I'm going to stay here. It's a small house. I don't have to clean very much. You know, I don't have to look after a bigger, this is where I'm staying. You know what I mean? And, um, or when people, um, just because they've gone up the, the career ladder, you know, they feel like they need to get a bigger car or whatever, whatever. I mean, fair enough. If that's what floats your boat, you're entitled to go and get those things. But make sure that you don't keep eating into the extra income that you're getting and, and do something else with it. Um, that is, you know, hopefully invest it in something that isn't going to depreciate. Because you are no richer. If you're spending more as you earn more, you're not richer anyway, right? So what's the point? So it doesn't make any sense. So I, I guess last last couple of questions. First thing is, uh, by the way, I'll just say hi, Sirius. Yes, I've seen your question. I apologize. I was ignoring you earlier, but we'll come back to that. But main thing I wanted to ask you, is there anything that we haven't kind of spoke about today, which you think is important for people to hear about the subject that you would, you know, if you could scream it to the world, what would it be? What's the one thing you would say to people? Um, probably two things. Um and you're probably thinking I asked you for one thing and now you're giving me two, but there you go. That's, That's fine. <laughs> no, more the more the merrier. Um, is that it's really, really important. If you look at any of the data, the way that finances affect women and men are, is very different. Okay. Um, the research shows that girls are still excluded from financial conversations at home, even though more of them will end up managing the household budget and that women are more likely to be affected by poverty. OK, so it's really important that we start changing that and having those conversations with our girls. OK, so that would be my first thing. And the second thing is, I think one of the best gifts that we can give people is to remind them that they can be active participants in the economy. You know, you don't just have to work, 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 get your retirement fund. And then 2022 is a beautiful time to be alive. Uh, the internet is absolutely phenomenal if you use it wisely and slow and steady wins the race. Uh, you know, my dad has always said to me, if it comes quickly, it'll go just as quick. Yeah. 
that's a good Thanks. saying and i love that i've heard that before as well and it's so true as well i can't remember if it was my dad who said that to me as well but i know someone old and wise said that to me as well the same thing and it's so so true uh there was loads more we could talk about on the subject because it's unlimited when it comes to hence uh, you know unlimited my blog but um there's so much you could talk about when it comes to this subject but i think we have to draw a line at some point but it's been really fascinating speaking to you and very insightful and i think on all fronts even the dating front the the future parents of all the people i speak to become going to become future parents and stuff i think it's it's really helpful to people to understand this and know that this shouldn't be a subject excluded from your discussions because, you know, it's one of those subjects that I think that people can, can get people into the most trouble. But I wanted to say thank you for your time. It's a pleasure as well. Oh, by the way, so where can people reach out to you? Um, where can they get your book if they wanted to get it? Of course. So it's available on Amazon. Um, will we? Can we put the link in the we'll show put, notes, etc.? We so will. We'll put the links in. Uh, you can find me on LinkedIn. You're more than welcome to connect with me on LinkedIn. You can connect with me on Insta at at, uh, at Roma underscore creates, um, and you'll probably see a lot of my. I've started a business in fashion. Uh, I've started a fashion brand, so you'll probably see some of that stuff on there as well. So, uh, but yeah, you're more than welcome to connect with me on there, uh, and I'd be happy to discuss anything with you fantastic well it's been a pleasure and a pleasure oh, having yeah. you on but also reconnecting as well and yeah. seeing that beautiful smile of yours of course as well oh, so. it was lovely to speak to you too and thank you uh it's felt quite easy to just have a chat with you about this oh no no i'm glad well i'm glad i'm ho hope i didn't grill you too much as well but no it's been a real pleasure having you on as well and no doubt get you on in the future we'll talk talk even deeper financial stuff as well because we've only scared the, the, the surface of the subject today but it's been a real real pleasure speaking to you and catching up so thank you for being guest number 55 on the feeling inspired podcast and to everyone else if you've just joined do not worry if you missed you can obviously watch a replay or you can catch the podcast it will be uploaded to all the podcasting platforms within 24 hours as well so you'll be able to listen to roma's dulcet terms as much as you want <laughs> i don't think that's ever been said before <laughs> i'm just polite no i'm kidding um <laughs> anyway so thank you again and thank you to everyone who's been watching as well i'll catch you on the next episode of the feel inspired podcast but for now thank you again roma and i'll thank catch you. you all soon Ciao. Bye.